Hello everyone and welcome to the 3Ball. I'm your host Samuel or Sam and in today's podcast we are going to be doing a Brooklyn Nets off-season guide. If y'all are new to these off-season guides I'll explain how they work very briefly. So basically I use uh, the team's logistical outlook as well as their player personnel in order to make some or in order to give some advice on what I think should be done this off-season. Now I am obviously no expert, so I'm doing this based on what I personally think. I'm not a Nets fan, I'm a Grizzlies fan, so I definitely have the most opinions about the Grizz, but today is the Brooklyn Nets, as I said. And for the rest of the teams that we're doing for the offseason guys, we're going to be going from time they got eliminated. So the, today is the Nets. I think the next teams are Minnesota and the Clippers. I could be wrong, but I'm fa- I'm fairly certain that those teams are next. But we'll find out tomorrow when I do i do that podcast. Also tonight is game two of of Nuggets Heat. I don't know if I'm going to wake up for it because I think it starts at 3 a.m. here in Ethiopia. And that's really early. But I'll, I'll see what I can do. So I'll see what I can do is really all I can, all I can say about that for now. But we're going to go ahead and now turn it over to this Nets offseason guide. And first thing we're going to be doing is the logistical breakdown. So for those of you listening on YouTube, there's going to be a screenshot popping up on your screen right now. It's a spreadsheet with all this logistical information. And for those of you just listening elsewhere, I will explain this. So the first thing is the depth chart with contract links. So the point guard position, we have Spencer Dinwiddie. He's on a one-year deal. Behind Dinwiddie is Seth Curry. He's a free agent this offseason. Behind Curry is Patty Mills. He's a free agent this offseason. And behind Mills is Ben Simmons, who has two years left on his contract. Moving on to shooting guard, starting is Mikael Bridges. He's on a three-year deal. Behind Bridges is Cam Thomas. He has two years left, including a team option before he becomes a restricted free agent. Behind Thomas is Edmund Sumner. He's on a one-year deal. Behind Sumner is Seth Curry. And behind Curry is David Duke Jr., who's a restricted free agent this offseason. Starting at small forward is Cameron Johnson. He's he's an RFA this offseason. Behind Johnson is Joe Harris. He has one year left on his contract. Behind Harris is Yuta Watanabe. He is a free agent this offseason. And behind Watanabe is Royce O'Neal. He's on a one-year deal. And then starting at power forward, we have Dorian Finney-Smith. He has three years left, including a player option. Behind Finney-Smith is O'Neal and Johnson. We are talking about both of them. And then behind him is Ben Simmons. We are, We also already said that he has two years remaining. And then lastly, at the center position, we have Nicholas Claxton. He's on a one-year deal. Behind Claxton is Dayron Sharp. He has two years left, including a team option, before he hits restricted free agency. And then behind him is Ben Simmons, and we've already talked about Simmons' contract. And that is the depth chart. Moving on now to the salary cap table for the Nets. So... The guy making the most money on this team by by a good bit is Ben Simmons at $38 million. Behind Simmons is Mikael Bridges at 22, Spencer Dinwiddie at 20, but that has like some incentives. I don't know exactly what those incentives are, but the thing I was looking at said that it was a likely incentive and that would push him up to around 20 mil. Joe Harris is slated to make 20 million, Dorian Finney-Smith 14, Nicholas Claxton 10, Royce O'Neal 10, but that's partially guaranteed. He's guaranteed 2.5 mil, and that is fully guaranteed on July 10th of this year. Um, Patty Mills is next, he's making 7 million this upcoming season. Cameron Thomas 2 mil, Edmund Sumner 2 mil, that's non-guaranteed. It'll be guaranteed on July 5th of this year. And Lashley is Dayron Sharp at 2 million dollars for a grand total of 147 million. 
I should mention that this is not including the guys that they're going to sign in free agency. It's just the players on this roster, assuming that all team options slash player options are accepted, which there are not any this offseason for the Nets. But as I said, there are a decent amount of free agents from this team. But that 147 figure with would leave the Nets with about negative $13 million in projected cap room if the cap is at that $134 million value that it's projected to be at. The projected luxury tax is at 162, which will leave this team with $15 million in projected luxury tax room, and that is what the salary cap is looking like for for Brooklyn. Moving on to their first round pick capital, obviously this has, you know, changed a lot for many different reasons. One of them obviously being all the no, actually the only one being all the trades they've made. They've just made so many that the first-round picks that they have are mostly from other organizations, specifically the Phoenix Suns. But this season, they have both the 21st pick and the 22nd pick. Their their own pick is 22nd. Phoenix Phoenix's pick is 21st. No picks in 2024. They're all traded. In 2025, they have a worse swap with Houston. So between the Rockets and the Nets, the Rockets get to pick whichever you know, they get to pick which pick they want, and they can either keep their pick or swap it with Brooklyn. So they will have a first-round pick, either Houston's or theirs, whichever one is worse. In 2025, they have the Suns' unprotected pick. In 2027, they have another worse swap with Houston, and they also have a Philadelphia pick that is top eight protected, and if, and that pick, if it's not conveyed, will be top eight protected again in 2028. And then also in 2027, they have their own, or they have Phoenix's pick, excuse me, Moving on to 2028, they have a best swap with Phoenix, so this is the first year since this year that they have their own pick, and they get the better pick between themselves and the Suns. And then in 2029, they have three unprotected picks. They have theirs, they have Dallas's, and they have Phoenix's. And that is the logistical outlook for this Brooklyn Nets team. And we're now going to transition into more of a personnel sort of approach, because this team... This team is definitely complicated for 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 a multitude of reasons that I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about in like right right now actually, and this year right, we all know the Nets ended the Kevin Durant Kyrie Kyrie Irving experiment by making two of the biggest trades in NBA history by shipping out both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in the same season to you know Phoenix and Dallas respectively, but the trades weren't you know that terrible because Kyrie Irving they were unable to get an extension with him and he was gonna walk in free agency so you want to get some value there and then KD you know he had a trade request last year and if Kyrie wasn't there you lose Kyrie you lose Harden he's gonna slowly start to get more and more upset and maybe that starts to affect the rest of the team so they trade him which they got a pretty decent haul back in return for Durant. And the worst part about trading those two guys is that the team got worse, which, I mean, that, that's not that bad. They, they still made the playoffs, 16, got swept by Philadelphia, but they made it, which, I mean, for some of these guys, is good playoff experience in a, in a, in a heightened role, because some of these guys haven't had playoff, experience, uh, playoff experiences as some of the best players on, 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 on the team, specifically like a Mikael Bridges, right? He's had experiences as a role player, but maybe not as a star player. But the, the 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 biggest downside to Brooklyn getting worse is that they don't have any of their own first round picks. So tanking does absolutely nothing for them. It achieves absolutely nothing, and that's all a result of the James Harden trade, <laughs> which, looking back on it, was an absolutely terrible decision. This 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 Nets team is definitely going to 
you know, it, it, it just another bad move and a long line of failures for the Nets as far as trade goes. Going back to the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett deals, I don't even know what year that was in the early 2010s. But yeah, like I said, another incident of the Nets making a poor, poor trade there. But this offseason, I mean, it could go a few directions, really. But the, but there's really only two that I think that are plausible for this Nets team to really, really try to try to accomplish and that they can accomplish. And one is either try to stay afloat with with a similar roster, or the other option is to go deeper into a rebuild by trading some of their more valuable pieces. And both of the both of these you know. Both of these directions are not ideal, but this Brooklyn situation in, in and of itself is not ideal. They're really in a pickle, to, for for lack of a better word. They're they're really they're really stuck, and I don't think they're going to be good for a long time. If I'm being completely honest with you, I think that they have, they they definitely have put themselves in a hole that's going to be very, very difficult to escape. But like I said, they could go deeper into rebuild by trading some of these valuable pieces, and those guys specifically are Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Spencer Dinwiddie, and if they want to go full rebuild, these guys are going to be dealt because they are more valuable to a competitive roster than they would be to this likely non-competitive Nets team. And the, the guy who obviously, who, whose name has been thrown in trade rumors a lot, it's going to get you a big haul back in return is Mikhail Bridges, and since coming to Brooklyn, this guy has been balling out 26.1 points a game, 4.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists, but he shot the ball 47.5% of the field and 37.6 from three, shooting about 19 times a game, which is, you know, that that's definitely more than Phoenix, I'm assuming it's more than Phoenix, I don't have his Phoenix stats pulled up, but he's playing 34 minutes a game, he's doing his job, he's been really, 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 really elite. And Brooklyn, right, they could have traded him at the deadline. I think they could have made that deal a three-team trade with the Memphis Grizzlies. I know, I'm a Grizzlies fan. But the Grizzlies offered four first-round picks for Mikhail Bridges. That, that's an absolute... I, at least if I'm Brooklyn, personally, I'm accepting that. But I, I see why they didn't, right? They're in playoff contention. There's reasons they didn't accept it. And now it just looks even better. Because you may want to keep him around. His value has increased like it has increased a hundred percent because you 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 saw what he can do in Phoenix, right? He's gonna be a really good three and D wing. He can score the ball when necessary. He can just come in and play his role perfectly. He gets to Brooklyn. He becomes the guy, and he he shows it. He was really, 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 really good, and he'll probably warrant you know more value than just four first round picks. Maybe four first round picks and a young player. Or four, four first round picks and a good like there. There's a good chance if they trade him, they'll get more out of him. But if if he does go to a more competitive team, say he does go to Memphis, I expect him to sort of default back to his Phoenix role and style of play. But like once you take this leap, right? Like once you take this sort of individual individual jump, you can revert back, but you're still going to. You're not going to lose the the ability that you had during this time. So he's still going to have this individual scoring ability that's crazy. He needs to be able to play a smaller role, which I think it's going to be super valuable for any team who wants to compete for a championship. But despite these trade rumors, I expect Mikel Bridges to be back on this team next year, as my guess is that Brooklyn wants to keep building with him on the team, although that I think that a Mikel Bridges-led team is going to have its limits, going to have its ceiling, but who knows? I mean, he hasn't played this role for a full season. I'm intrigued to see him back on this Nets roster. As a Grizzlies fan, I want him wearing 
you know, the Grizzlies, Grizzlies gear, but that may not be the situation that happens next year. Like I said, I expect him to be back in Brooklyn. If you're the Nets, I think you keep him around, but if you do trade him, you're going to get an absolute package back in return. And the next guy is Cameron Johnson, and he's a guy who, he's a restricted free agent this offseason, and, and this would sort of make Brooklyn be, be forced to outbid other teams in order to bring Cam Johnson back because this team is already so expensive. But because Johnson is just such a reliable piece and he's really, really solid, I think that Brooklyn will end up bringing him back, and I think they're going to they're gonna want to bring him back. The only reason that they wouldn't is because of their, their finances, which really are, like I said, are not great at the moment. But if, if Brooklyn does get, like, super-duper concerned about their money situation, then they could, I mean, there, there's things that they could do. And the, their, their options are, one, sign-and-trade. That, 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 that is, that is the, the main option if they really get concerned and they don't want Cam Johnson to come back in the team and eat up a lot of cap room. My expectation for him is a contract that's between 15 and 20 mil, to be honest. Maybe a little bit less than 15. I, I think that 15 will be probably a fair, fair type of deal for him. It might be a little bit on the... I don't, I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know how valued a guy like, like him is, who's just a really good role player, but maybe he's a little bit older than the Nets would want. Keep in mind that he is finishing his rookie contract at 26, 27 years old. Kind of crazy to think about, but that is... Cam Johnson came out of college really, really late, and that, you know, that that's going to affect his second contract. I don't know what teams are going to try to pay for him or what he's going to want, but if they are concerned, like I said... You're, you may have to look into a sign and trade him. And, and, and the thing with the Nets, right, their finances are, like I said, kept up in bad contracts, specifically Ben Simmons making $38 million, which is just absurd for his lack of output. But that, that, that's really the only way to put it, for his lack of output. And, but and also, a, a bad contract right now is Joe Harris. He's an older guy. All he does is shoot. And... When you had KD and Kyrie, he was a really, really valuable guy who's just going to come in and shoot the ball, but he's dealt with injuries, and now he's on a bad team, and now he's just, he's slowly deteriorated deteriorated into a bad contract, which is not, not what the Nets were wanting with him. And then the other thing that, but like, those guys are taking up a lot of cash, right? They're taking up a, a lot, a lot of cash. But one way that they could clear, clear some money is by releasing Royce O'Neal. His contract... It's it's partially guaranteed. If they cut him before July 10th, they're only going to pay him 2.5 mil as opposed to like around 10. I don't think it's exactly 10, but around 10 million dollars. If they do that, they save a lot of money this off season, which could be you know better spent, better saved. Who knows how they how how they would use it? But luckily, this this decision for O'Neal right it's on July 10th, which is after sort of the free agency you know you know I don't after the free agency panic I guess I don't know. The free agency rush. I don't. I don't know. I don't know the word here. But after the free agency period sort of begins and ends almost, because it's really, really fast, right? It's, it's sort of from July first to like July fifth. After that, it sort of calms down. It goes really, really, really quick. But July tenth is a little bit after all of that takes place, so they can make a better decision on that based on how their free agency goes. Or based on the fact that they may they may need to free up cash in free agency, and they may have to cut him as as a result of needing to have some extra cash on hand. But 
eventually for the Nets, I don't I don't see finances as a problem because Ben Simmons' contract is up in two years. Joe Harris is up after next season. The, the, those contracts will leave. They will not get significant contracts from the Brooklyn Nets. And once once that happens, this team is going to, you know, re- regress back to the norm finances-wise. So they should be fine with that. I don't think it's a long-term problem, but short-term, I think it could affect the players that they, they're they able to bring in slash want to bring in. That's at least how I see it. And and moving on to pieces that they, they could trade, I sort of deviated I sort of deviated away a little bit of that, from that when talking about Cam Johnson and their finances. But the next guy is Spencer Dinwiddie, and I mean he wasn't quite as he as good as he was in Dallas upon coming to Brooklyn. He averaged 16.5 and 9.1 assists, which is really good. His efficiency was really really poor though, 40.4% from the field, 28.9% from three, not great shooting shooting splits, but I, mean, I I don't really have an excuse for him. They're just not great. He was better in he was it was better in Dallas, and that that could be like a Luca effect, right? When Dinwiddie is not on the ball as much, because on this Nets team he is the point guard. When you're in Dallas, Luca is the point guard. Dinwiddie was allowed to play the two. He was allowed to sort of play off the ball, which allows for easier shot attempts. Which allows for more scoring opportunities. Like point, some point guards score more, some point guards don't. And I, I, I don't, I don't know how to describe it with Dinwiddie, but I think he got some better shot attempts when he was playing with Luca. I don't know. That that's just a theory I had for why his his efficiency might be down. But as I said, Dinwiddie is a good passer. He can score for himself. I think some teams could be interested in a trade since his value is going to be a little bit down because he's on a one year deal. They may try to you know try to get. To get him on a cheaper or a, you know a, a a less costly trade, which the Nets may have to accept because you want to get some value out of players. I'm huge on getting values out of players while you can, and I I know that other teams see that too, and they try to you know make the other team you know sort of just steal the guy from the other team basically, which I mean at that point you'd rather not help out another team. Even if it's giving you something back, you don't want to... Like, I, I don't know. You don't really want the, the the label of being a bad trade team, but the Nets already have that. So, who knows? But Dinwiddie, they could trade him because because he is on a one-year deal, and he's not completely necessary, and he's going to have some value. They would need to get a point guard back or get one in free agency because I don't think you trust Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Ben Simmons, maybe Cam Thomas. I don't know if you trust any of those guys. Edmund Sumner, even. I don't know if you trust any of those guys long-term as a point guard. And then the last guy who could be dealt is Dorian Finney-Smith. He also was not as good in Brooklyn as he was in Dallas, as he put up about he put up about 7.2 points, 4.9 rebounds. Also, really, really poor efficiency out of him. 35.1% from the field, 30.6 from three. Not good efficiency out of him as well. I also think that that is the Luka effect, you know, playing a part there. And that's just my opinion on it. And I think the DFS, he's he's a valuable, versatile defensive forward. He can he can, you know, get a first round pick or two, or maybe even a nice young player, or even a guy in a I don't know what the what the return would look like, but you can get something out of Dorian Finney Smith. And I think that that's something that you should explore if you are the Brooklyn Nets. Because that would maybe open up opportunities for some of these other guys that you may want to give opportunities to, or rookies. I have no idea who's available at 21 or 22, by the way. But maybe you can get somebody. Who knows? We'll see what they do in the draft and with Dorian Finney-Smith. 
And then the other option, right, Brooklyn just brings all these guys back, or at least most of them, and see how their value sort of develops. But I think that I think that something needs to be done with at least one of these players. At least one. Maybe not all of them. Like I said, I, th- I think Bridges stays. I think Johnson stays. And then you you maybe... I think if you're going to deal one, you deal Dorian Finney-Smith. If you're going to have to trade one, I think that's the one you look to trade because his contract may be more valuable to other teams with that three-year player option. I think that that might be something they're more willing to trade. But who knows? I don't know what the Nets are thinking. I don't know if they're going to make any trades at all. But they could bring all those guys back. We'll have to wait and see. And 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 right now for the Nets, they appear to be in the start of like a rebuilding or retooling phase. They're definitely in one of the two. I don't know how you would exactly describe where they are right now. And either either way, like if you're rebuilding or retooling, some of the guys in the roster simply put don't fit. Some are like too good or too old for rebuilding. That there's like maybe Dorian Finney Smith. You know what I mean? But the team isn't like competitive with this completely retooled roster. I don't think they're going to be competitive long-term. They made the playoffs, but that was mostly because of the work that Kyrie and KD's Nets had done beforehand. But still, they made the playoffs. Sure, they got swept, but they they made it. They got some good experience, but I don't think this team can be competitive at all. So they're sort of in this weird, this weird little stage because they can't tank because it doesn't help them at all. And... And, and, and right now, the, the thing that you have going for you is that you have a decent young core. You have a decent young core. And if you can hit on a draft pick, if they, if they can hit on one of their two picks, or even trade up in the draft for the, one of their picks or both of their picks for a guy they're really, really high on, then they could organize a nice young core with Cam Thomas, Nicholas Claxton, and a rookie. Honestly, I would not be surprised if Brooklyn makes a draft day trade. They trade like Dorian Finney-Smith and the 21st pick, you know, up with a team in the late, even the Pelicans potentially, or maybe, I don't know who's like 15, 16, I don't don't know what they do, but they they could make a trade to move up a little bit in the draft and take a guy that they really believe could be a long-term, you know, successful piece with this young core, with Cam Thomas, with Nicholas Claxton. We'll have to wait and see how they handle that draft. Speaking of those guys, Thomas and Claxton, I want to talk about each of them for at least a second Cam Thomas, I mean, he's he has explosive offensive spurts. You know, that that, that showed when he had those three 40-point games consecutively. Just a crazy streak out of Cam Thomas. And the, the, the one thing you would—actually, there's multiple things you would want out of him. But in order for him to be a guy that you— that he can be on the court more and more consistently and play, like, more— like, if you look at his minutes this year, they weren't stellar. They were 16.6. And he scored 40 points a game in three consecutive games, and he only started four games this season. He needs to develop the rest of his game because it is not on par with his scoring. And when I say the rest of his game, I mean his his rebounding slash passing. Passing is probably more important for him as a guard or his defending. Neither one is great. I was looking at the defensive ratings. He's the second worst individually on the team. So you want you want one of those categories or both of those categories to get better in the categories I mean passing slash rebounding and defending. You want one of preferably both of those categories to improve with Cam Thomas. As for Claxton, I mean he took a great leap this season. He w- he went from not starting to starting. And this year he averaged what did he average? He averaged uh, 12.6 points, 9.2 rebounds, and I'm pretty sure he led the league in field goal percentage at 70.5%. I mean, he's developed into a really reliable starting center that you trust 
and he's pretty young too, which is really, really valuable. And he's slated to be a free agent next offseason. So not this offseason, but next offseason. And I think if you're the Nets, you work to get an, you you work to get a contract extension done with Claxton because you do not want to have the 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 you you do not want to have to worry about him leaving next offseason because if he does, then it's just not a good sign of things to come because then other players might leave. If other players if other players leave, your the team's gonna suck and you're not gonna have any of your own draft picks. It's not gonna be a good situation. So I would hammer out that off that extension as soon as possible because I think that he is a piece that they value, at least they should, and they should keep for at least a little while. And and free agency next offseason could be a concern, but this offseason I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Their outgoing free agents are Cameron Johnson, we already mentioned him, Seth Curry, David Duke Jr., and Yuta Watanabe. Like I said, I already talked about Cam. And then David Duke Jr., I think he should be an easy guy to bring back as a restricted free agent. If, if Brooklyn's interested, obviously, there has to be that interest by the Nets. But I, I think Brooklyn could bring him back for cheap, you know, easily. I think that that's a guy. There's there's no reason not to bring him back is what I'm trying to say because I don't think he's going to be super valuable to other teams. And as for, as for Seth Curry, I honestly expect him to be gone next season. Brooklyn significantly, they significantly reduced his minutes to 20 minutes this year as opposed to 30 minutes last year. And that's with this you know, roster that's worse than it was last season. But I, I guess at the end of the year last year, Seth Curry definitely had more opportunity because this team has more players because of their trades and yada, yada, yada. But the, the, the that minutes decrease that I just mentioned, I mean, it caused Seth Curry to average the least amount of points in his career since 2018-2019. There's, there's a good chance he wants a bigger role or a bigger opportunity, and he leaves. And I would not be surprised to see that happen. And I, and I think if you're the Nets... You've come to terms with that. I think you'd be okay with him leaving because you can rock out with Spencer Dinwiddie and Patty Mills, even Ben Simmons at point guard if you have to, or you go get a free agent. It just doesn't need to be a great point guard. You go draft a point guard. You go sign a point guard. There's options, I don't think. And Seth Curry's actually probably more of a two guard by nature, so I, I think you're happier with having, you know, I, I, I don't think you're going to stress out too much if he does walk. As for Watanabe, he fell out of the rotation after the trade deadline, but that's just because the team got so many extra players back. And the, the the decision on him comes down to whether Brooklyn wants to bring him back, and that sort of depends on the roster. If they're bringing any guys in, if they're making trades, if they're making trades, chances are that they're bringing more players in. So that that might lead lead them to lose Watanabe. I don't know, but I, I, I think he should be a guy who's brought back. He was so efficient from three-point this season, he ended up... He ended up falling down. No, he didn't. I was looking at Patty Mills. Sorry, you don't want to know they finished the season at 44.4% from three. That's incredibly efficient. I don't see why you don't want that in your team. But at the same time, other teams are going to want that. And that means Brooklyn's going to have to pay Watanabe at least a decent amount of money in order to keep him. And Yuta may not even want to be in Brooklyn anymore. So who knows what Watanabe decides to do. He could stay. He could go. But he will be on an NBA roster next season, whether that is the Nets, which if you're the Nets... I think you should try to bring him back, or somewhere else. Like I said, he's going to get a real contract because he was so efficient from three-point range. And for, for this, overall, for this upcoming season, right, I really don't expect much roster turnover. Maybe the guys who are gone are like Royce O'Neal for contract situations and Seth Curry, and the rookies come in, or maybe like a Spencer Dinwiddie or Dorian Finney-Smith trade is made, since I think that those trades are more likely to happen than a Cameron Johnson or Mikhail Bridges 
or the, those type of the traits. And, and as I said throughout this episode, there's really no incentive for the Nets to tank. There's there's absolutely none. You don't have a draft pick. And, and if you do tank, you're going to end up losing money as a franchise. I rarely dabble into this franchise ownership stuff business-wise. But you, if you have a bad roster, you're not going to make as much money. And if you don't have your first-round pick, that adds up to no reason to tank. Simply put, there's no reason to tank. Therefore, I think that they're going to try to keep at least a remotely competitive roster around to draw fans into the Barclays Center. Maybe it's New York. Maybe they want to come anyways. Who knows? But like I said, fans don't want to see an absolutely trash team, you you know, and especially one that doesn't have a draft pick. The Nets don't want to tank. The fans don't want to see them tank. It's sort of a iffy situation, so there's really it really honestly hurts the tank. So I think they're going to hang on to their best players for that reason. So in in recap today, I think that the Nets should look into trade for for some of their better players and pull the trigger if the right one's there. If the right Mikael Bridges trade comes around, there's no reason why you shouldn't do it because at this point this this roster is just going to be limping until in, until 2028 unless they can get a really good player they're going to be limping until 2028 because they don't have any of their own picks until then maybe you get lucky with some of these other teams maybe phoenix is maybe phoenix is trash in a few years maybe you you know strike gold on one of your draft picks maybe you can get free agents because it is new york city who knows but if if the right trade is there definitely do it Another off-season objective is to bring back Cameron Johnson in restricted free agency. Even if that's a sign-and-trade, even if you sign-and-trade him away, you still should bring him back because he's a great player, and you can at least get value out of him if it is a sign-and-trade. And like I said, you either get him or you get other players. Make sure you get value out of that. And then the, another thing is that they need to continue developing their young core of Cam, of Cam Thomas, of Nicholas Claxton, and offer Nicholas Claxton an extension, first of all, to make sure that he is locked in to Brooklyn for a long time, and it also makes next, next offseason less stressful and easier, since they do have a lot of upcoming free agents next offseason if they don't do any, you know, if they don't extend these guys or trade these guys, they're going to have a lot of guys entering free agency next offseason. So, you know, just checking off the Nicholas Claxton box would make that a lot would make that a lot easier. And then the last thing this offseason is that they is that the Nets need to deal with the other free agents and specifically David Duke Jr., Seth Curry, and Yuta Watanabe and evaluate which you want to bring back, whether you want to bring them back, and if you do want to bring it back for how much, just working out those though those free agency decisions and then whether you want to bring any players in, who knows what the Nets are thinking. But that is going to do it for this Nets offseason guide. If y'all did enjoy, make sure to show support on whatever whatever service you are listening on. Tomorrow, I believe, is going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves. I am not certain on that, but I believe it is the Minnesota Timberwolves. I will 100% fact check it because I'm doing it tomorrow, but y'all will find out. Then, maybe you guys can do your own research. I don't know. I don't know what y'all want to do, but that is it, as I said, for today's podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time. I'm out.